Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and about what's next. It's a show that wants to ask questions, peel back the layers of our average everyday experience, and go beyond scratching the surface. We interview amazing people with incredible ideas and stories who have done wild, weird, and wonderful things. Remember that imagination shared create collaboration, and collaboration creates community, and community inspires social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. He's a teacher and a writer. He's been the president of the Hatton Rabbit Club for many, many years. He works for an organization called Magicana. He's written and produced one-man shows called Lies, Damn Lies, and Magic Tricks and the Uncertainty Project and worked at uh, theater uh, festivals, Summer Works, and the Hamilton Fringe Festival over the last few years. He's a guy who who thinks a great deal about what he does. We talk about uh, the pleasure of finding things out in this interview. We talk about serendipity and uh, what it what it means to be able to do val uh, to do magic in in a modern society. We talk about leveraging the idea of leveraging small secrets. How wonderful is that? Controlling access. To in, in information. We talk about surprise and about the, a new mantra that James has come up with for himself that I think you're going to find pretty interesting. You are going to enjoy uh, this interview without a doubt and also learn why, in fact, secrets are addictive. Uh, DavidPeckLive.com for more information about my own podcasting, public speaking, and writing. Please check it out. But uh, now enjoy uh, an interview and podcast with James Allen. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by another very special guest today. I have no idea who this is today. Uh, as far as, uh, I mean, I know who it is. James Allen is with us here today. He's a magician. He's a mathematician and a good guy. So th- first of all, thanks for joining us, James. Thank you very much. And I actually get to be face to face, which is... Uh, w- really weird. It's kind of uh, almost almost ironic in a way because so many of my interviews aren't face to face. So this is a pleasure and a privilege, I think. So thank well, you. It's for, nice to be here. Yeah. What I meant was, is I don't know where you're going to land numerically on our podcast. I think you're going to be about the 220th podcast. So wow. It's, yeah. It's kind of, I think we should celebrate. I don't know how we're going to do that, but uh, we have glasses of water here. Should we toast? There we go. Let's toast. It's a, all right. I think uh, my sound guy picked that up. All right. Perfect. 
James is a, a guy I've known for a long time. He's a magician, uh, sleight of hand artist who's, who's based in Toronto. And he's been doing one man shows for the last few years. Uh, lies, Damn Lies and Magic Tricks, The Uncertainty Project. He's been involved in Summerworks, uh, the festival here in Toronto, the Hamilton Fringe Festival. I think I even drove out to Hamilton. Yes, you did. Your show. In a very, very, very hot theater. It was very hot indeed. And uh, but you've been doing that for quite a few years. You now, weren't so. the one in the three-piece suit. I just want to remind yes, you of that. I bet. Yeah. So so tell me about huh? Tell me a little bit about your history. Tell me a bit about the, this desire to uh, do a magic show, to elevate the magic show in a sense. It seems to me anyway. I came into magic in what I think is a very different way from the way most people do. Most people, sometime between the age of about 8 and 13, stumble upon something. And the stories are all very similar. You see a magician on television. You read a book in a library. Uh, the library part doesn't happen so much anymore. I think it's the internet. Or someone buys you a magic set. And uh, I was different. I was, and I do not know exactly when, I was somewhere between 19 and 21, and I read one of the Penn and Teller books, and I read hmm. an essay by Teller. Hmm. And he was talking about practicing a particular sleight of hand trick called the cups and bowls, which is something I know you've worked on, and I still do it uh, even in my shows to this day. And it was the very first time in that late age of about 20 that I really assimilated the idea that this was something that you could learn and something that you could practice. And I was at U of T, and I was doing math at the time, and there was this very mathematical elegance to a lot yeah, of magic. Sure. It was the idea of leveraging some very, very small secrets, by and large, to do some very complicated things. And math is like that. You start with some very simple principles, and you leverage that to solve problems that if you were to just approach them point blank, you would think... There's no way we could possibly come to an answer I with this. You, I think you need to write a, a, an essay or do a lecture called "Leveraging Small Secrets." It's a great, it's a great title for something. I think it's definitely, yeah. Uh, I think we could do that. I mean, deep down, magic is really about controlling who has access to what information, and I can do that in the way that I speak to you. I can do that through my actions, um, and the thing that I like about magic so much, uh, as I guess a style of entertainment or just uh, a pastime is we focus an awful lot these days on intelligence, how smart you are. And very, very often it's not how smart you are, it's what you know. And magic proves that because if I have access to information that you don't have, I can fool you. And it doesn't matter if you're a Nobel laureate or a six-year-old child, if I have information you don't have, I can fool you. So I'm interested in this philosophically for a second. If I'm going to, I'm going to take a little tangent. So yep. it's not how smart you are; it's what you know. You, you know, you do. You're a mathematician. You you do a lot of tutoring. Uh, you've had a lot of students over the years. Magical magic students, I would imagine, but also math students. Who are the ones that are going on to do great things? Are they the ones that are bookish, or are they the ones that know how to actually the cra the, the 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 mechanics of it? So I'm, I guess I'm trying to get to the distinction of, of I don't know, your epistemology, sorry, uh, you know, how smart you are versus your library of knowledge. What's, uh, tell me more about the distinction. Uh, I came across this in the most unusual of places, and it was a book by Scott Adams, who is famous for writing Dilbert. 
and he wrote. <laughs> I'm such a huge fan of Dilbert. <laughs> but he wrote this tiny book called God's Debris. Nice. Which Don't know it. you would love, yeah, and he gave it away for free on his website as a PDF, and I could probably find you a copy. Cool. But it is about. Uh, and it's, it's unclear exactly who the characters are, but it's a conversation between sort of an all-knowing oracle-type sage character mm -hmm. and a UPS delivery boy. Hmm. And it is one of your favorite things, a long Socratic nice. discourse. Nice. And when... I, I learned this in problem solving early on. When somebody does something that makes no sense to you, so someone makes an obvious mistake they company launches an ad campaign that backfires terribly those sorts of things when you see someone do something that makes absolutely no sense to you you tend to think what an idiot but really it very often turns out to be that you simply have access to information that they don't so uh, take the simplest example you're driving down the street and uh, the person in front of you slams on the brakes uh, or speeds past you and cuts you off, or you're sitting at a, a, a green light and the car in front of you is not going and you assume what a moron, they're texting, but what you don't know is, you know, there is a little old lady in front of them that's still crossing the street mm -hmm. and you can't see and what you perceive as someone being a jerk or texting and sure. driving or something yep. is really just them being perfectly rational with information that they have yeah. and, you don't. and you don't. And so the instinct that I was able to cultivate, again, around the same age was always asking the question so wait i don't understand why this person is doing this what do they know that i don't or on the flip side what do i know well, that they don't well in a sense you were always rechecking or restating your assumptions yep right in a sense which is to me the the basis of what socratic dialogue is supposed to be about it's not so much about what you're talking about it's the hopefully that 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 that, uh, that where your ear lands, you know, are you actually listening? Are you attending to what the other person is saying? Or are you sitting on the edge of your seat just waiting to, you know, uh, interrupt, get your point in? Which I think, sadly, often is, is, is well, it's certainly my, been my experience in the last few years in the classroom with students, my students, right? It's, it's, uh, they're, they're moving the needle just a little bit is getting harder, it seems to me. If yeah, that, that makes could any be, sense. yeah. Yeah. So is, is magic for you then a problem to be solved? Is that kind of, so you, So what was your degree in? Was it? Uh, it was a combination of uh, math and business. Math and business. So, so shoot me now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> and then you end up in magic and you end up doing these, you know, one man shows and you've got this artistic. Well, if you want to take it back a step further, yeah, please, uh, please, I, I essentially paid for all of school as a martial arts instructor. Wow, okay. And I forgot about that. Yeah, I mean, and I simplify the story for cocktail parties. Well, I was a martial arts instructor, and I decided that that just wasn't weird enough, so I decided to become a magician. Yes. Uh, and magic really was a lot of serendipity. It was something that I fell into, and it was a question of just being at the right place at the right time where I was able to meet people who were able to open doors for me. And so happened to be at a particular show where an agent asked me for my business card, when I didn't even have a business card and it had never occurred to me to get a business card for Magic uh, and people who were willing to give me the opportunity to perform. You pulled up your shirt, showed them your black belt. Do you um, have a black belt, by the way? I do. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, yeah, okay, so I, 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 no, I, I, I'm very rusty at the moment. And, and you can uh, throw cards, my understanding. So you are a dangerous weapon. A black belt and a man who can throw cards. 
I'm dangerous for other reasons than that. Uh, on the, in those terms, I'm actually pretty harmless. I bet. Uh, but yeah, no magic was something that uh, I fell into. That. Uh... Yeah. So so t- so let's. I'm, we're going to come back to the problem solving thing. But t- t- talk to me about falling into an essay by Teller. I mean, that, that just doesn't happen every day. Oh no, no. Like, so the story know, gets further yeah, than that, yeah, and I you mean, will you will appreciate more than most people. So. Uh, I discover, thanks to the internet, that around the corner from my house, uh, completely hidden by uh, was Morrissey Magic. Wow, I do understand. Yes, and my listeners, hopefully most of them know, unless you're just dialing in for the first time to Face to Face, I have a history of magic in my background, including Morrissey Magic. So yes, uh, yeah, and happy to chat about that at another time, but go ahead, please. And... I never really had probably walked past them and driven past them a hundred times and never really and going inside. And that just opened up an entire world. And so... Was this when they were at uh, Dufferin and Glencairn? Yeah, they were on Dufferin. Yeah. And uh, secrets are addictive. Mm. And there is... Uh, Richard Feynman had the fantastic phrase for it, the pleasure of finding things out. Uh and you asked me before about the people who do on to great, uh, go on to do great things, and I think a real essential element of that is these are people who really do experience the pleasure of finding things out. Knowing something you didn't know yesterday, being able to do something you couldn't do yesterday, that is that brings some sense of satisfaction. A little endorphin rush, a little high. Uh, there is solving a mathematical problem. Is a lot like that being able to mm-hmm. glimpse a problem from so. a new angle, yeah. Yeah. and um, where you walk away from a problem and come back to it a day or two later, and all of a sudden the the solution is crystal clear. That pleasure of finding things out uh, plays a, a huge role uh, for me. And when you're learning magic for the first time, and you 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 open this Pandora's box of a, a bookshelf full of magic books and another shelf full of magic DVDs and a counter full of tricks, I mean, you can experience. Um, it's, it's, I think it's the equivalent of walking into a morphine clinic. Uh, just <laughs> you get that pleasure of finding things out pretty much nonstop yes. for yeah. whether it's the first year or two years, uh, and you can just sort of soak it all in. Yeah, I think I think there's absolutely something true about that. Uh, the pleasure, and I think pleasure is the right word. There's for me as I find as I continue to to. Play with magic to play to to work with a pack of cards to learn new things to read about the history. I find I'm becoming more and more fascinated on a different level. I, I no longer have a need to perform magic. However, I still do enjoy it when I get the opportunity and will do it. Uh, and, and but 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 if there's a day that goes by that I don't have a pack of cards in my uh, in my hands, like you say, there's a there's a morphine like edge. There's I did you start get, twitching. There's a bit of a twitch. There's a little bit of a twitch. So I wonder to what degree... So so that's, we can talk about habit and physiology and all those things, but I think there's something very rewarding about it. I think I am clearly taking something from the craft, if that makes sense, the ballet behind the ballet, if you will. Yes, and they're, they're just uh, the satisfaction of learning, discovering, creating, practicing. And there is the, the complete opposite side of that, which is you present that to an audience. Right. And... Working on a their, variety of levels. Their right? appreciation, and, and that's an entirely well, different high. James, I don't know a lot of woodcarvers who come home and and carve wood. 
at you know at night before do they is there a need for them maybe there is maybe there is maybe there's this uh, and maybe that is partially the definition of art in creating something is that i i feel i can't not do otherwise does that make sense uh, I, I have to paint today i have to carve i have to write right it's it's something's pushing me forward uh yes and uh, well i think that's just also a, a dislike for inaction you can only sit still for so long right and uh and as some i get older I watch... to, some people seem to be able to sit still a lot longer than others this is true and youtube makes that very easy <laughs> that's right but now we have pokemon go so yes we're all set yeah no well so i'm just wondering can you can you connect some of the dots between math and magic a little bit more for me. I am fascinated by that because I think you're right. I mean, there's certainly a whole branch of math and magic, the idea of a self-working trick and patterns. And, and, and the funny thing is, is I'm not particularly interested Martin, in much of that magic. Martin, well, which is really interesting to Martin Gardner, you know, a yep. philosopher, a thinker, a scholar. I mean, written voluminously on math and magic. Sorry for yep. that, but, but it's, it's true. Right. No, absolutely. Guy, Stuart James. These are names people, most people won't know about, but 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 deeply uh, mathematical. Interestingly, I am not uh, I'm not especially enamored with that type of material. Uh, first of all, after a while, there are so for the listeners who do not know, we're talking about magic, which is accomplished not by sleight of hand or a mechanical principle, but based on something to do with numbers or mathematical truths and you, you do these tests online think of a number add five multiply by seven subtract your phone number do these things and all of a sudden it happens to know what number you're thinking of uh, and you can make that more complex and you can make that more subtle uh, but also important uh, for me in magic uh, and this has to do with some of my earlier influences is for me for magic trick to be satisfying there really has to be a feeling of having gotten away with something. Mm. For you? For me. For you, right. Yeah, um, no, I think, I think I felt the same way. It's almost like if there was another magician in the room, you'd wink at them and walk away from the crowd and go, I, I nailed it. Like, I, I, I can't believe what I just got away with. Um, but, but not only there, there's sort of a sporting aspect to it where there is an element of risk where, mm. yes, I might get caught. Sure. Or sure, uh, sure. a very shrewd observer. Uh, and the other thing with mathematical material is um, the secret is in the procedure, and those procedures have tells in them. Mm -hmm. And after your first six or seven mathematical card tricks, you can start to spot them from across the room. There's a certain beat, there's a tone almost. There's a beat, there's a tone, there is, there's an inefficiency in them. Right. So, um, yes. so say for Most example... Most of them you have to be pointing north-northwest, I think, for them to work. Isn't it something to do with magnetic north? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> not only that, but uh, their uh, famous Canadian magician, uh, Di Vernon, his mantra was, be natural. Mm. And what I realized a few years ago is really what be natural means is be efficient, don't waste energy. And if you look at the way animals move in nature, you watch you know, something like a tiger or a panther or a tiny bunny rabbit darting across the room, they're very, very efficient in the way they move. They're very agile, very nimble. There's no wasted energy. 
And so if I want you to take this book, for example, think of a word in this book. It's not, okay, let's take a dollar bill out of your pocket, take the first three numbers in the serial number, that will be the page number, then take the next number, that will be the line, then take the next number, that will be the word. That is an extremely inefficient way of selecting a word in a book. And it's through that inefficiency that makes magic, which is based on math, well, unsatisfying for me. And to some degree, the method is revealed. To some degree. May not so, be, yes. May not be entirely, but there is an implicit, right, uh, lack of naturalness in, in that kind of an approach that, that magicians like Vernon and others are, and yourself and others are trying to get away from. Uh, that's, that's, and all the ways in which it, it restricts your choice. Whereas, um, if I want to... Uh, it, if I want to take your wristwatch and have it appear inside of some impossible thing, uh, it's much more natural, at least from the audience's point of view, if I just have some sort of secret Rube Goldberg machine backstage with levers and pulleys that winds it through some pneumatic tunnels and deposits it in the secret location, um, from your point of view, it's very efficient. Right. I want to know what your definition of magic is to some degree. So your, your website, you talk about real surprise. Why, why would somebody hire a magician? Well, it's got to be, you know, what real surprises when you see something that not only have you not seen before, but truly believed was impossible. Uh, for me, that raises all kinds of questions. So, first of all, do we really even believe anything's impossible? I mean, we're rationalists to the core, it seems to me, you know, and you're, well, you're working this... for a younger demographic, for the most part, I would think. You know, you got your corporate Sur crowds. Surprisingly not. Uh, oh, okay. I, I, well, Old I... farts mostly? Hmm? Old farts mostly? <laughs> Well, there is a lot of that, too, and we can talk about doing uh, magic for senior citizens, which I have done a lot of over the years, uh, and I find that work to be extremely rewarding. But a few years ago, someone stumbled onto a mantra for me, which was, magic is for grown-ups. Mm. And that is something that I work towards, and don't, I don't want to claim to be an expert in it, but there seems to be very few people working towards the idea of doing magic for really, really well-rounded, smart people. Because you can't go out to a group of people with a straight face and claim that you are communicating with the spirits and right. that by drinking this magic potion that you are going to be able to put someone in a trance and read their... You, you can't have... You can't perform in that Harry Potter genre. But you have to be able to take advantage of the fact that, uh, oh, you've gone and found a secret object. Oh, dear, I'm worried. Uh, no, but you have to be honest about the fact that at the end of the day, these are tricks and what you're doing is not real. But at the same time, you can deliver a sense of wonder. And that is another kind of risk and another feeling of having gotten away with something because you really are walking on a tightrope at this point. You are straddling a very fine knife edge between fantasy and reality. Uh, and I think of the number of people who are claiming to be mind readers and are using, I think the popular term is neuro-linguistic programming, uh, which is you know, something that doesn't really exist, uh, but trying to give what they do an air of science. And my problem is if I want to perform for people who are scientifically literate, um, I 
I always envision myself as I want to hope that everyone in the room is smarter than I am. Right. Which means if I perform for you, I have to know that in the back of my mind that if I try and bullshit you, you will catch me. So is there an implicit, let me be clear, I don't really believe this stuff either, but let's... It let's is, yes, it is implicit. Together, and I and I, I make it a, a point that I want to do that without ever having one of those disclaimer things. Right. Oh, by the way, right. I don't actually have real magical powers. That's right. uh, this yeah. is all just a... This is all just a clever bit of illusion. No, but I, I, I need to tacitly address the elephant of the room, which is, sure. I know that you know that I know that you know that none of this is real. Yeah. But at the end of 20 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, you are going to have no explanations and you are going to start to feel that maybe there is real... And this, is, I think, is the value of magic in a modern society is... It's nice to be poked and reminded every once mm. in a while that there is more to the world than you know. And that we can violate the laws of physics and the laws of causality, apparently, mm. without ever actually violating the laws of physics or the laws of causality. And that is a really exciting idea. Uh, it's a profound idea. I mean, lots of magicians talk about the idea of connecting with people emotionally. Mm -hmm. Well, since the age of one year old, you've been working with the concept of object permanence. If I put this object in my hand and close my hand, that object has to stay in my hand. And when I open it and it's gone, I'm now taking this thing that you have learned since you were a toddler and I'm subverting it. In a small sense, I'm beating down a small portion of your worldview. And or, that is... It's absolutely profound. Beautiful, mysterious, all the things that I think... Hmm. And we need people to do that. is squashing out of us, frankly, on some levels. There's, a, there's an ideological edge to, to knowing, right? And I think we almost come back to our... It's not how, uh, how smart you are. It's, it's, it's kind of what you know. It's not just about... I suppose, access to information and being able to click a button. It's got to go a little deeper than that, clearly. Yep. But we are, uh, I think, structuring uh, the way, hmm, our, I mean, 8 and 10-year-old, our kids think in a way that's actually kind of it's troubling to me. I don't know about you. So I think as a magician, being able to shock people out of their complacency from time to time, it's a very valuable project, it seems to me. And to be reminded on a regular basis that your faculties are extremely imperfect. Mm, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And there's a, when you reason about things, there's a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a heuristic, a little shortcut that your brain uses, which is, if it doesn't make sense to me, it's probably not true. Right. And lots of people think that way. And uh, I forget who coined this term, but they wound up calling it the argument from personal incredulity. Mm. The idea that I can't think of a way that this makes sense means that it's probably not true. Uh, and it has this sort of know-it-all feature secretly assumed in behind of it. And I think it's nice to be reminded that, no, you can be deceived and you can be misled with very little work at all. And it happens naturally in the way that you form models about the world and the way you take shortcuts and the way you take assumptions. Uh, and just having reminders constantly that the way things appear on the surface does not at all have to be the way they are underneath. And 
you know, I am providing tiny nuggets of that, often in the form of card tricks. Right. Uh, and I am I'm delivering these reminders to you, constantly. We're back to Plato. You know that, right? Faculties are imperfect. I mean, this is you know we get. I mean, it all comes back. It's all footnotes. It's, uh, so do 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 people like magic? Do some people, people do, do, and some people don't. Yeah, yeah. Do you find most people like magic? Would you say like it's that they they, they enjoy that surprise? They enjoy that sense of wonder, or do you find? And, 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 and that, that there's a group of folks who just don't like being fooled, period. They, there's a lack of humility there. They're unwilling to go the extra mile, if you will. Uh, well, there are certainly people who don't like, you don't want to show weakness. Uh, it, it, it's uh, the problem of the boardroom. Respect goes to the person who can put their foot down the fastest and say definitively, this is what we need to do. Whereas the responsible course of action and the one that we should respect is someone who says, we need to step back, we need to gather some more information, we need to meet back again in three days and then make a well-informed decision mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to automatically going with wh whoever can make the point first and make the point loudest. And it's... So there are, are those people who don't like to be fooled and it's okay. I, I don't mind you being uncomfortable with that. And I'm going to layer things into my magic. There's an old saying uh, that goes back to uh, a German-American performer, Nate Leipzig, people want to be fooled by a gentleman, mm. which is that even though there are going to be parts of this that you are not going to like emotionally, this is going to make you uncomfortable, you are still going to enjoy the humor, enjoy the situation, the uh, go along the context. And context is so important. So part of the reason I think many, many people don't ma uh, like magic is... Magic is often presented in a very confrontational way. It is clown, clownish, at the risk of alienating all my clown listeners, um, which there may be a few. Like, and I, and I don't mean that in a sense like don't be a clown. D does that make sense? Like the you well, know, there you talk is about a, magic being for grownups. You know, I look. But at there your is an arrogance. And, there is an yeah. arrogance to mm -hmm. me acting in such. So, like, I can know something you don't, mm -hmm. and I can lord that over yeah. you. I can ha, stick ha, I can ha. stick my tongue out at the end, uh, sure. which uh, I'm doing right now. But this is radio, so That's right. no you one's can, no one can that. see it. Yes, it's a fine tongue. <laughs> Thank you. You must alienate some of the room when you do that from time to time. Uh, stick my tongue. Yeah, out? sticking your tongue out. In, in, I I don't do that in between sets. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I don't even do that in between. I I I shouldn't say that. I, I if there if there's a child who happens to have snuck in, I may make faces at them. Sure. Sure. Uh, no, and you have to try and find a way to make sure. And a lot of magic right now, uh, somebody said to me once that magic as uh, a craft is always 20 years behind the times. Hmm. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's true or not. But one thing which uh, it seems is we are a little bit stuck as a community in the insult comedy of the 1980s. Let me borrow your ring. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, you left a hole for the stone. Uh, so mm -hmm. that that of mm -hmm. always poking fun of the people in the audience, putting putting people down, basically, right? It's, exactly, yeah, putting people yeah. down. Uh, and I I try whenever possible, uh, if I can, if I want to use a line like that, is I find a way to turn that around. And how is it that I can use that concept and make it be a joke at my expense? And yeah. not yours. Would you not agree there's something really organic about magic, you know, that that most people resonate with? 
and 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 I do know a few people who are very close to me who do not like magic at all. And I really, I've, I've tried to figure out why that is, and I think it has to do with this problem. And, and do you think it runs any deeper than the people that you do know that just can't stand country music, or is there something more to mm, it than that? Yeah, no, I actually do think there's something more to it. I think it's not just a stylistic distinction or an aesthetic distinction. I think it actually flies in the face of their 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 worldview, uh, their uh, the way they interact with others. They don't, I mean, they don't like being fooled. I now I now know something you don't, right? And I, and I remember where, having worked you know many crowds over the years in a close up setting, in a cocktail setting, when you're you're elbow to elbow, and every now and then you'd have somebody grab the cards or stick their hand in your pocket or put, go up your sleeves and they're just crazy. I mean, who does that? But, I actually. You know, uh, in the last year or so, I have, uh, in one of my pieces, in, invited people to look up my sleeves. And looking is one thing, and occasionally I have had a woman, and thankfully uh, she was fairly slender, but I think she was in my sleeve up to her elbow, <laughs> looking around and, for and things. I'm hoping we have photos of that somewhere, don't we, James? Oh, God, we must. We uh, must, yeah. But, Hang and on, I said to myself, Twitter. this yeah. is a definition of look that I was not familiar with before. <laughs> Uh, so, and well, I'm, I'm you're... fortunate that I don't actually have anything up my sleeves when I perform. Yes. I mean, if I could did, that could end very badly. Who knows what might come out of there? Yeah, lots of acts have over the years. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's really interesting, you know, that the, the type of magician, it would be, it would be fascinating to do some studies on who are the folks that are drawn to magic. I mean, I certainly, of the people that I, I know and know well, I would say there's an awful lot of people who fall into that sort of rationalistic kind of edge, who, who, who tend towards being a mathematician or a scientist or a doctor. You know, there's a, right? And, and then you've got another group that seem to be way on the other side of that extreme as well. So it would be fascinating to find out who kind of bends towards this, I like deceiving others, and here's why. Well, and this is what I've been trying to do, again, talking about that knife edge between fantasy and reality, is mm -hmm. I have been trying to have a show which you can enjoy if you are a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer right. or an engineer and that I am still respectful of your intelligence, respectful of your knowledge, respectful of your skepticism. It's not an elephant in the room for me. Uh, I, I forget at one point in the show I say, I know you don't believe this. This is fine. I respect your skepticism. Mm-hmm. And then go on to offer the evidence. And uh, th this is the hard thing, is how do you treat an audience truly like grown-ups? And also to trust them to have the emotional maturity to show them something which might be deeply disturbing. Uh, in, uh, in that context of, I really thought the world did not work like that. And for them to be able to say, I know there is something going on here which I do not understand... But I also know that there is just a trick to it. And if I were to do some research, I could understand. Right. right. And that they could be okay with that. Yeah. You, you, you uh, the talk about you Socratic talk... acceptance of your own ignorance. Sure. I can live with that little bit of uncertainty because I know that he's not actually 
right. floating. Or right. You can kind of, you know, it's it's off the, the, the duck's back, as it were. You say you like to poke people with, with that from, a, from an assumptive or a philosophical point of view to say, you know, to, to, to challenge their assumptions, as it were. Do you want to, do you want to shatter people's um, beliefs to some degree? Uh, uh, do you you know would you would you have been alongside Houdini back in the twenty in the fifty you know debunking uh, the spiritualists and so on? Well, in a sense, I still am, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, there are lots of there is a very important fact about the world that seems to have gotten washed away. When I was in school, it was this tone of everyone is entitled to their own opinion, and what we sort of forgot along the way is you may be entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your own facts. Mm. And it's really, really important for me that people understand believing things that are not true is bad for you. And there's a large portion of the population that seems to have forgotten that in this quest for tolerance and acceptance and making sure that everyone is entitled to their own opinion and everyone feels welcome. Well, only to a certain extent. Uh, you are not entitled... Uh, if you believe things that are not true about the world, you are vulnerable in all kinds of ways. And so I have to have it in the back of my mind. No one can leave one of my shows being less well-prepared to deal with the world than they were before they came in. So I can't... Uh, I can't leave them with false information without... And that was why I had uh, so much fun doing Lies, Damn Lies, and Magic Tricks. Because if the show is called Lies, Damn Lies, and Magic Tricks, I can say anything I want. Mm -hmm. Because the warning is built into the very title of the show that everything I say has to be approached with skepticism. And if you go out... And it was actually ironic that the number of true stories I told in that show... Mm. Actually, it was... uh, except for a little bit of dramatic license, everything I said in that show was true. Right. And, uh, but I don't have to feel concerned that, uh, as some of the, the, the psychic entertainers, the mentalists, the minders, have had this legitimate problem for decades of, they are almost on a position in a position where at the end of a show they could start a religion. Right. Oh, I, I, bet, I bet in some cases. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, depending on the, the the town, depending on the audience, depending on the experience, it doesn't matter what town you're in. I mean, depending on the experience, it's it's a little uh, it's a little faith healerish, like right. Uh, and there in there is a, there is a percentage of the audience, and I don't think it's the majority, but I think it's a percentage which is non-trivial. There is a percentage of the audience that walks out of there feeling as though they have witnessed something real. And for me personally, that idea is horrifying. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that desire of, of folks who want to believe, period? I was, gonna say, I was actually going to uh, you know, add on to that sentence, but just want to believe, period. It's. Uh, I, remember, I, I remember doing a, a house party, mm-hmm. and I did a, a, a card effect, and I had done something earlier in the, 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 the evening. It was, I was there for a couple hours, so I became kind of a part of the family. Uh, I didn't eat with them, but then I came back after dinner, and I did something. And this woman, I, rem- I just I have these sort of faint memories of, of, I said something to the effect of, can you feel your hands getting a little bit warmer? I don't know what I was up to. And, and she did. And she was in, 
and she was in in every way. And I seem to remember saying something to her, her husband later, and kind of, hey, remember, is you know, I mean, she wanted to believe James. Now, maybe it was the alcohol talking. Maybe it was the way I presented it. Maybe I did something differently that night that I hadn't done before. That is a bit of a dangerous place to be, without a doubt. Yeah, and I, well, I was even, I was in a worse situation. Uh, a lot of my work is booked by event planners and agents. So I have almost zero interaction with the people who are hiring me sometimes. And uh, some agents are less diligent than others, and it will happen that I am uh, booked as a mentalist. And I have enough material, and I can do that kind of a show. Uh, and it always has, the, again, that sort of quasi-skeptical, magical, these really are tricks bent to it. But... One particular afternoon, that got pushed to its extreme. Somehow, mentalist became psychic entertainer, and psychic entertainer became psychic. And I was sitting at a table for two hours giving readings. And uh, so readings is something like uh, tarot card readings or palm readings. And I don't actually own a deck of tarot cards, but I can uh, fake my way through a palm reading and some other things. And there was one point in there where someone was asking me about her cancer. Mm. Uh, and it's at that point where I could take a shower continuously for the next three weeks and I still wouldn't feel clean. Mm. But, and this is why I think these conversations are extremely important to have all the time. And I want to be honest, all the time. If someone asks me, are these tricks? I want to be able to say, yes, absolutely. Because these are not the kind of conversations that you can have when someone is in one of those very dark and unpleasant points in their life. This, that is not the time to go around with a needle and starting to pop the bubbles of their belief system. We need to get to those yeah, people sure. before they wind up in that situation. Sure. Uh, and that's um, what I think. I mean, I'm very, uh, uh, I, I'm very involved with skeptics organizations. I go to many of their meetings and lectures and things. And the so-called outspoken atheists take a lot of flack for why is it that you are, why is it that you are trying to disabuse people of these cherished notions? You're just making them unhappy. Well, the reason is we're doing it now. We do not wait, want to wait until they have a relative with cancer and they have a charlatan that's trying to sell them some uh, treatment which is not going to work and take their time and their money and their energy away from legitimate medical care. We want to create rational, skeptical people before that happened. We want to be talking about these things while there's nothing wrong. Uh, and that's part of the discussion. Well, it almost sounds to me like as a magician, as a skeptic, as a, as, a, as a mathematician as well, that you feel a sense of responsibility to that. I mean, you've, I mean, yes, I'm, I mean, I if I had not been a magician, I probably would have been a teacher. Teaching right. what, who knows? Uh, right. Well, I was right. a martial arts instructor, so I've been, and in fact, even now I don't, uh, I, I have been teaching this entire time, sure. whether it's magic classes for children. Uh, I have, uh, I, I tutored math for years. And so I have always been involved in, in some form of teaching uh, in one way or another. But you, you do, I do feel an obligation to, uh, you know, make the world a better informed place than what it was before I came in. Uh, and 
seeing people believe things that are not true. Seeing someone in grade seven who can't do long division just <laughs> upsets me. That's probably be me. Yeah, I don't think I can do long division today. Actually, I'm not sure. I'm well, no, it's uh, this is this is I, we we could talk about that because educators are. Uh, they relied on that crutch of, well, you're not always going to have a calculator with you. Yes. And now that that is now no longer true, they are seriously rethinking the way they're teaching math because they can no longer hide behind the the world changed mm. and their excuse mm. of, you're not going to have a calculator anymore. And so now they're back to, well, you have to learn how to do long division because we say so. Because of, Which yeah. is a, a pretty dreadful reason it's to. It's a horrible place to be. I mean, yeah. that's yeah. This is this is something I, I I get into often with people that I interview is that that structure, that ideology of what it it means to teach and how we teach, and and, and it's almost in some in in some regards anti relational. So 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 um, yeah. Let's we sadly we've got to wrap it up. Um, it's always amazing to me how quickly the time goes. But uh, so so you you would have been a teacher. You don't know what you would have teached, but it would have involved a pack of cards. That's my guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, let's go with that. Yeah. Uh, so yes, if if anyone from a major university uh, wants to to start uh, a department for card tricks or uh, what was it that we called it, uh, department of uh, deception and misrepresentation. <laughs> So yes, if anyone wants a faculty for card tricks at the university, I mean, feel free to get in touch with me. I, I went to the Department happy. of Silly Walks, actually. That's where I was, you know, Mon the old Monty. I have yes. been there, yep. Yes, you've been there. You've sat in the waiting room, I think. Yes, I, I think have. We may have crossed paths. Uh, James Allen, he is a magician, and he's a uh, all-around good guy. He's an entertainer. JamesAllen.ca, uh, that is with one L, J-A-M-E-S-A-L-A-N.ca. Check him out online. James, thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. My I, um, pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, we will do this again uh, without a doubt. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory. But boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.